And welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. And normally we talk. I guess I should introduce myself if you it, that helps. That helps. <laughs> uh, I'm Matt Freeman, and that's Eric Scopel across the way. Hi guys. Uh, we normally talk so far about Oregon football, yeah. but when the calendar shifts to uh, end of October, early November, the start the, the leaves start changing and they start falling, and that means we start talking football and basketball because, uh, believe it or not, Oregon plays what we thought was their first exhibition game on the 30th of October, which is a Monday, and they are playing NCU. And then, oh, the season's going to start a couple days earlier. Uh, The NCAA is allowing schools to now uh, play a third exhibition game for charity, and the Ducks have utilized that, and they're raising money for the Red Cross here in the state of Oregon. And they're, they're taking on... Idaho from the Big Sky, and they're playing Saturday morning at eleven o'clock at Matt Night Arena. And we felt like we were probably going to do this for NCU. Let's do this instead for Idaho, and it's kind of an impromptu, maybe a little earlier than uh, we were planning. And we'll probably go in more in depth later. But kind of our introduction to Oregon right. basketball for the 2017-2018 season. This is a, I mean, as, as if you're familiar with Oregon basketball, you follow it up. This is a very different team to yes. what we saw last year. Um, basically, the entire roster is has changed, um, with the exception of Peyton Pritchard, Keith Smith, and Roman Sorkin. This is basically a, a completely different Oregon team from last year's Final Four team. Um, and the last time we saw this team, they were one point away from making the national championship, and this year's team is obviously much different. A lot of players are playing in the NBA now, playing overseas, transferred and playing out of schools. That doesn't mean the optimism for this season's outlook changes all that much. I don't think the expectation is that this is a Final Four team again, but certainly a team that probably based purely on recruiting numbers is as talented as Dane Altman has has fielded at Oregon. Yeah, this is uh, hands down probably Oregon's most talented on paper program that he's fielded yet. Um, You've got Peyton Pritchard, you've got Keith Smith, MJ Cage, Paul White, Troy Brown, um, and I believe off the top, uh, Victor, uh, BJ Bailey, Bailey, and I believe um, Elijah Brown was as well. All of them are top 100 or top 150 players. Kenny Wootens might be in there. Oh, Kenny Wootens, yes. Uh, all of them are top 100 or top 150 players uh, in their respective recruiting classes when they signed. Um, and typically in basketball, you want to get as many top 100 recruits, yeah. top 50 recruits as you can. Um, and Oregon is, you know, Dylan Brooks was a low, low four-star. You know, Dwayne Benjamin was a three-star guy. Jordan Bell was a three-star guy. Uh, Tyler Dorsey was a high four. Um, Pritchard was a high four. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, Oregon under Dan Altman hasn't had a lot of high caliber recruits that were that were viewed that way coming into the program. Certainly, they've done a lot of player development, and uh, they found some diamonds in the rough type guys like Elgin Cook and Johnny Lloyd, Chris um, Boucher, Chris Boucher. Uh, but and they've, and they've developed those guys up, um, and they found some diamonds in the rough. But they haven't had those instant impact guys yet. A lot of them. And this year's team seemed to have a lot of those guys, and I think there's going to be some there's going to be some transition periods. You know, a lot of new faces. Four starters are gone from last year's Final Four team. 
Peyton Pritchard's the only one back. And, you know, while he started, I think, 33 or 34 games for the Ducks last season, he his role is totally different this season compared to last year. Whereas last year, he just had to ride the ship, make sure he, get, he gets the ball to, to Brooks, Dorsey, and, and Bell and let them do their, do their thing. And, you know, if you score some points, you score some points. Uh, just play sound defense, don't make mistakes. Whereas this year, Pritchard's going to have to probably be early on the facilitator, the scorer, and the on and off the court leader. It kind of, in a, it's not a perfect comparison. A little bit reminds me of when Tawan Porter had to take over those duties from Aaron Brooks a while back, where he had kind of been able to, you know, play a little off ball and maybe not have the ball in his hands all that much. And then suddenly the next year he's being asked to do a lot more. And, uh, I, I, I like what, I saw from Pritchard over the summer in the, the U.S. is they played in the U19 World Championships and actually played a few, uh, was now yeah, a current team and, and, and a current teammate. And yeah, Louis, Louis King was on his team and, um, Abu Kijab was against him and RJ Brett, another guy with their targeting was also played for Canada. But I, I thought he, we saw a lot more confidence in him offensively in that setting, shooting the basketball, distributing the basketball. And I think that's what we're going to see transitioning over to his sophomore season night. I think he's going to be, I'm not sure we want to call him ball dominant because I think both Elijah Brown and Troy Brown figured to be that as well. But I think you're going to see him create his shot a lot more. I think you're going to see his, his shot attempt numbers go up pretty drastically. I think you're going to see him score a lot more. I think you're going to see his assist numbers go up just because his, he played a lot of minutes last year, but on the court at any given time, he might have been the team's fourth or fifth option. I think any time he was on the court now, he's probably their first or third option, depending on kind of how the game flow is. But yeah. um, he's going to be a big factor. The other two guys I mentioned a second ago, I think uh, Troy Brown and Elijah Brown also will be a uh, big factor. I think between the three of them, one of those three guys will probably be a team in scoring. I'd probably lean towards one of the Browns who, if you're unfamiliar, are not related. Troy is a, is a five-star recruit. Elijah is a transfer from um, New Mexico and the son of Mike Brown, uh, NBA head coach, now assistant coach with the Warriors. Um he has quite the pedigree. He's a guy who scored a ton. Probably, he's probably a favorite to lead the team in scoring just because he's averaged 18 yeah. to 20 points the last two years. Yeah, you look at the transfers. They have two of them um, that are graduate transfers. Elijah Brown and Michael McIntosh. Brown played at New Mexico, as you said. McIntosh played at Illinois State. Uh, they have a combined uh, almost, they're very close to 2,500 combined points between the two mm-hmm. of them. Uh, Elijah Brown has scored almost 1,500 points on his own. McIntosh has 916 career points. So you're adding two guys who have a ton of extensive experience playing college basketball. Uh, McIntosh has primarily been the, the team's number two scorer wherever he's been. Mm-hmm. Elijah Brown, the last two seasons at New Mexico, has been uh, the primary scorer. And this is actually his third team. Yeah, he started he, at Butler, right? He started at Butler, and then after his, re- after his freshman year, transferred and redshirted at New Mexico, and then was instantly one of the... The, the league's best players in the Mountain West Conference, uh, his redshirt sophomore year and then his junior year, he, he followed that up again. And then on top of that, they're also welcoming back Paul White, uh, a guy that transferred, that was a top 50 recruit, uh, coming out of high school, Whitney Young, uh, high school in Chicago, Illinois. Um, he was a guy that his freshman year averaged, I think, six points and four, four, four rebounds a game off the bench, mm-hmm. uh, for, for the Georgetown Hoyas and, uh, was expected to his sophomore year to become a starter and have a key role on that team for the next three seasons, but he, he suffered some kind of a hip injury, didn't like the way he was being played, uh, and decided to transfer out of the program, and he enrolled at Oregon last year. Right about this time, um, 
He's coming off his red shirt. He's expected to be a starter, and he's a guy that's going to, you know, I think he's taller than Dylan Brooks. He's heavier than Dylan Brooks. He's not as athletic yeah. as Dylan Brooks. But he's going to have the same kind of an impact, I think, as Dylan Brooks did in the fact that he's going to be really good in the mid-range game. And it's he's, instead of playing power forward like Brooks did, he's probably going to be playing like an undersized center. And he's going to have opportunities to just go up against guys who are a little bit slower and a little less agile than he is. Uh, you're going to give up some stuff on the other end. But he's a guy that could score. You know, wouldn't surprise me if he's above 10, 10 or 11 points per game as, as a redshirt red junior. I think the thing that is encouraging, we mentioned all these new faces, but three guys you just talked about are very experienced college yeah. basketball players, and they're, and they're in their you know, 21, 22, 23 range. It's good to have a handful of those guys on your team, especially when you will be relying more, more than likely on freshmen. four true freshmen, Pritchard, who's still only a sophomore, um, Keith, Smith. Keith Smith, who's only a sophomore. There's, there's going to be a, quite a bit of youth, so having those three kind of veteran presences on the court will, will be big. And Back to McIntosh, that guy is built like he could start. He a looks like a tight end. He looks at, yeah, he could start a tight end for Oregon or defensive end. I mean, he's walk. You know, if he put on football pads, he'd be one of the more intimidating guys he's, on the Oregon football team. He's six seven, two hundred and forty pounds, and, and that, that looks like he might be a light. I might be conservative. Enough, yeah, he's big, dude. He he he. I think from a, a body standpoint, will we'll remind people if you go back five or six years for Oregon. Uh, a more in shape Olu Ashalu. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Very broad shoulders, um, or a, a much bigger Elgin Cook. Um, in terms of just, he looks like the guy that's first off the bus, physical. Mm-hmm. Um, he can handle the ball. He can shoot threes, and, and he's going to be a lot like Dylan Brooks in that he doesn't like that comparison. Um, but he's going to be a player that's gonna, that could potentially be a complete mismatch for a lot of other teams. Um, that Oregon's going to play this season, and, and that's kind of you know what makes this team so intriguing, so interesting to watch going in. Because coming off the Final Four year, a ton of new faces, and you could say night in, night out, it, it might be Troy Brown and McIntosh as the, your two best players. It might be Elijah Brown and Peyton Pritchard the next night. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a lot of nights where someone else, I, you know, a couple of different guys are going to step up. Whereas last year we knew it's the big three, basically. the big three. Bell, Brooks, and Dorsey. I guess Boucher was in there when he was healthy, so right. they had four guys. But yeah, this year's team is is different. I think one thing that's also encouraging is is how many six foot six to six foot seven guys. It's a, basically a roster loaded of those kind of versatile wing forward type guys that that you could play, you could mix and match, you know, probably twenty different combinations and have a pretty good pretty good lineup out there. You probably have to. For the most part, have either one of Brown, well, one of the Browns, or Pritchard on the court at all times in terms of just handling the basketball. Right. But you can put out Keegob and Wooten and Bailey if you want the freshman group with with some combination at the backcourt. You could put out, you know, a bigger lineup and put probably Troy Brown, who probably could play the four at, at the three, and then play Wooten and Paul White or McIntosh and White. You could play a bunch of different combinations. Um, with this team, and I think that that'll be something to track in terms of not just the starting lineup, but kind of what quarter they end up leaning on during the end of this. You know, last year, like we said, we knew what that was going to look like. Right now, it's like it's kind of anybody's guess because they have probably ten guys that could conceivably, you know, fight for that kind of a role. Yeah, I, I think early on, uh, we're going to see a lot of the minutes split from Oregon. I think Pritchard's going to probably play closer to thirty minutes per game. Yeah. Um, everyone else. Maybe Elijah Brown. And I think Brown, maybe, yeah. Elijah Brown and McIntosh. 
um, will maybe be hovering closer to, to 25 minutes per game. But I think everyone else is going to be right around that 17 to, to 22, 23-minute mark uh, of playing time because covering Dana Alban his what is this, his eighth season now? Yeah, eighth year. Uh, coaching Oregon. Um, covering the pre- previous seven years, he could care less about managing minutes, making sure guys are getting what they, you know, getting their shots. And um, he's, I think, deep down, you give him true serum, I think he's totally fine with this team every year losing a couple times in November and early December um, to really hammer home the, the the coaching points that he's trying to get across in practice. Um, I, I think the worst case for him is what happened a couple years ago when they went like 15-0 and to start the season. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, because he, he can't hammer home that you need to do these three things or these four specific things to, you know, because it's going to come back and, and we need to be good at this in, in April, in March and April and February. Uh, and wins can kind of, when, when you're winning, everything kind of gets glossed over. Right. Um, and, and losses, everyone kind of, oh, okay, what do we need to do that's, you know, to prevent this from happening again? Um, I think he's going to mix and match and he's going to try combinations and he's going to throw out some lineups that might look weird. It, that might not look like it, it fits just to kind of see where everyone's at, where things got, where things are, who, who plays well with who, who doesn't play well with, with who in, in, in game like situations. And, you know, there's just a lot of combinations that we're going to see in a lot, you know, this, this team's got a lot of questions going in leadership, production, uh, who's the go-to guy? Yeah, uh, just a lot of stuff to figure out in the next couple of weeks. I think one thing that I, would be maybe my biggest concern, and and maybe you'll disagree, is just rebounding. I think this team up front has some pretty athletic guys, but for the most part, doesn't have the sheer size. And that's why losing Cavell Bigney, losing out on on Brandon McCoy, who um, eventually chose UNLV, but was considered an, an Oregon lane up until the, the last couple of hours in that recruitment. Hurts because you've got a roster with, like we said, a lot of six foot six to six foot eight guys that are versatile and can play a lot of spots, but you don't have like a lot of true post presence that are just going to go out there, box you out, and grab the rebounds, which is what they had in Jordan Bell and Chris Boucher. I think Kenny Wooten's a guy that I'm really curious to see how he plays. He's drawn some comparisons from some of the Oregon players to to Jordan Bell, just in his athletics athleticism. His he's also wearing the number one. He's you know just a similar looking athlete. I think he might be a guy that is forced to play a bigger role early just because they lack some of those those other intangibles on this roster. Yeah, they've got a lot of athletes, but you know they don't have a Bell and they don't have a Boucher. Yeah, um, two guys who not only just defended the rim but mm-hmm. were also very good rebounders. Got a lot of balls uh, that Oregon that just seemed like no, had, Oregon had no business getting. Yeah. Um, who steps up in that department? They're not to play different dif- defensively already because yeah. Kenny Wooten's the only guy on this team, um, and he hasn't proven it at the college level. That's a known shot blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got some guys like an MJ Cage or um, a Paul White or a Roman Sorkin, Sorkin who are six nine, six ten ish, but none of those guys are are shot blockers. None of those guys are are considered to be bangers. Um, Sorkin might be a guy. Every year we hear he's taken that next step and is, is an inch closer to, to having some kind of a role. 
this might be his his chance. This might be that time where Oregon needs to say, Sorkin, you're going to play 10 minutes a game, and we need five points and five rebounds out of you every night. Yeah. Well, I, 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 they're going to have to find somebody because there are teams in this conference. I look at the three Arizona. Teams, Arizona. I look at USC, and I look at Stanford. and yeah. UCLA as well, but Stanford in particular with Reed Travis. Those are teams that are big up front and can dominate the class, and I just think I'm a little bit... I'd be a little cognizant and, and kind of concerned about how they match up in those games. And, and maybe they go small and they run them out of the gym, but um, certainly that to me, off the top of the head, would be a, would be a concern just in terms of how they how they approach bigger teams. I think McIntosh is a guy that could probably play against bigger players given his length and his his, his girth. And, and Trent Brown, also a guy who plays like that. But it'll be interesting to see how they, they approach those type of games. You know, I, one, one thing before we really kind of – I mean, we're not going to break down the Idaho exhibition game all that that much, but just kind of um, we'll talk about our kind of thing we'll be watching for. But one final note before we turn our page to that one and wrap things up here is um, going into this season, Oregon's starting to get, I think – the benefit of the doubt of the Dane Altman coaching effect. Right. Um, they lost four starters, like we've said. Uh, Casey Benson, Cavell, Bigby Williams, two juniors from last year's team came off the bench, are now playing at Grand Canyon University in LSU. Um, Benson is eligible this season because he graduated. Bigby Williams is redshirting uh, at LSU. Uh, so this team has lost six of their top seven players. And yet, because of that Dane Altman coaching effect, they were picked fourth uh, in the Pac-12 conference. You know, I think prior to their Final Four run, they see that kind of a loss from from their roster, and they're probably picked fifth, sixth, or seventh in, in the league. Um, but now, with you know, over the previous seven years of, of Altman's coaching career here at Oregon, it's been pretty clear they perform better than what's been expected of them going into that preseason poll. There's only been one year Oregon has not reached. Uh, a, a better position than, than their preseason pool, and that was last year because they were picked to win the conference. Well, and they they won, couldn't do any better. And they couldn't do any better. <laughs> right. and they won the conference every other year. Uh, they've been picked second. They've been picked third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. They've always found a way to finish higher than that projected pick. Um, and I, I think this year it's going to happen again. I don't know if it's going to be a one spot jump to third or second, or maybe they pull off the unthinkable and they win the league for the third straight year in a row. Um, but I, I think this team on paper get to get to January with as few as losses as possible because that's when things will finally click for this team uh, and then they'll start playing their best basketball. One other note though that's where I think over the last six years Oregon has finished either third or better. They have not finished fourth in, in a long time. So the the trend is with you there that they that they will finish in the top third of the conference. Also, do we want to talk about Bull Bull for a second? Yeah. That's, that's that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> uh if, if you're familiar with Oregon basketball recruiting, uh, there's been far and few between five-star prospects that Oregon has gone out and signed. Uh, their first was Malik Harrison, I think, what, back in 2003? Three. And then, oh, this you're right. This in, in 2004. And then uh, following Malik Harrison, uh, they signed Jabari Brown, and the Jabari Brown effect lasted two games, and then he transferred out and went to Missouri. Uh, complete bust. And then... Um, you could argue Tyler Dorsey was a five-star, but he, was, he wasn't a consensus. He was close. He was close, though. Um, he wasn't a five-star when he committed. Uh, and then this past summer, or this past uh, fall, the Ducks landed a verbal commitment from Troy Brown, a top 15 recruit in the country. And then now going into the 2018 recruiting class, 
guys that will be freshmen next season. They've already got one five-star in Liu King, and they've now kind of emerged as the favorite for not just a five-star, but the third-best player overall in the 2018 recruiting class, Bull Bull, a seven-foot-one center that shoots threes, blocks shots, runs fast, break. He's a unicorn's unicorn. He's, he's a must-see on YouTube. Yes. And the last couple of days, the Ducks have gone from being in the eyes of the 24-7 sports crystal ball, and depending on how much stock you put, stock you put in that, um, they've gone from a team who many felt like wasn't going to get Bull Bull. I think I was one of one Duck predictions. Um, I put mine in last week. Uh, and they've now become, I think, the number is up to 70% odds on favorite of landing the commitment from Bull Bull, which is supposed to happen the next couple of weeks, which is... As they've signed Troy Brown, they've signed Luke King. This is a this is a, the next step up of a five star. You're getting the, the two year five star guy. Bull Bulls on one and done caliber recruit. He is, and, and actually I think it's eleven crystal ball picks in the last twenty four hours for Oregon. So it's it's more than just a couple people. It's it's pretty much every basketball analyst out there that 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 covers this is is kind of putting their chips in the Oregon basket for for yeah. Bull Bull. And, and this is an incredibly talented player, a son of Manute Bull, who had a, a long NBA career, a very memorable player, and he still stands as the tallest player in NBA history. He was like seven foot seven, which is yeah. crazy. Bull Bull's a short; he's a shrimp compared to his dad. I mean, he's like six inches shorter. But this guy, this guy will, if he does end up at Oregon, be a massive factor in terms of like recruiting down the line because he's a consensus top five draft pick in. You know, in terms of projections in 2019 draft, um, and just a—I mean, I think I saw he measured the seven foot nine wingspan. I mean, <laughs> and he can do it all. I mean, this is a tremendous prospect. So this is very obviously very encouraging news if you're uh, somebody that follows Oregon basketball recruiting. Uh, other, I, I tend to not put as crazy as it sounds since we work for 24/7 Sports. There, I, I view the crystal ball in two favors. A it's important that the overall aspect of everyone's, you know, Oregon's got a, uh, what, what is the current position here right now? 76% lock on the crystal ball. Obviously that's a factor. That's, you know, that's something of note. That's something to take into consideration. Um, but I like to go deeper into the numbers to see who's making these picks. Um, most importantly, it's myself because I've covered this recruitment. Um, Chris Fisher of our Kentucky site, he is also pegged Oregon. Uh, Evan, that's significant. That's a significant one. Um, Evan Daniels, the national recruiting director of Scout.com, a guy who I think is number one um, in picks for the 2018 class. He's 31 of 32. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, and he basically, his style of picking, he posted on DuckTerritory.com, is he's not going to go in early and he's not going to make a pick. He's not worried about having the best you know, time of – how long has, has he had his pick in? Um, he wants to just be right. And he's not going to make a pick until he knows what's the the final spot. And he said he's not going to make a pick and then change it. And so he's logged it in for, for Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's a huge vote, you know, in my eyes, of, of confidence for the Ducks. And then you've also got Jerry Meyer, the director of basketball scouting for 24-7 Sports as well. Uh, he has also pegged his in for Oregon. So you've got... Myself, you've got Je- uh, you've got Evan Daniels, Jerry Meyer, and Chris Fisher, mm-hmm. guys who are either covering Oregon, covering Kentucky, yep. or have really good 
fingers on the pulse of college basketball recruiting in general, all saying he's going to Oregon. That's a that's a big deal. This is this would be the highest rated commit. Obviously, it's not done. Um, we're maybe getting a cart ahead of the horse here a little bit, yeah. um, but it's it would be the highest rated recruit to ever commit to Oregon. And as things stand, as of October twenty fifth. 10.37 a.m. in the morning so time Pacific, okay. Pacific time. Uh, if Bull Bull were to commit in the next minute and we added him in into the, the commit list, Oregon would have the number one recruiting class in basketball for 2018. And there's still on the board R.J. Barrett, number one ranked prospect in the country, who's down to Kentucky, Duke, and Oregon. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different era of Oregon basketball for sure, and I think – I mean, just to give you a, a sense of of where things are, I, I wonder how many, even of last year's 2017 recruiting class, Oregon would even really recruit heavily if it was, you know, if it was this year's class, just because Oregon is targeting the big dogs. They're going after the five-star talents, and it looks like, I mean, they've already got one lined up. It looks like they're having some success and potentially could pull in three five-stars, two of which would be the top five recruits in the class. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, you... You go and you look at Oregon's recruiting class, and we've given a ton of attention to um, to Bull Bull. We've, t- we've given a ton of attention to uh, Lou King, the five-star small forward who's committed to Oregon. Um, you, you, we've talked at length of R.J. Barrett as well, um, but we're also forgetting that. There's Miles Norris. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's it's it it's crazy because any other year, and Miles Norris is the headliner. I know. The of the recruiting class, he's 57th best player overall. He's the the 14th best power forward in the country uh, by 24/7 Sports. He's 6'11. He he's he can shoot threes. He can dribble. He can you know he's like a poor man's bull uh, bull or Boucher, and. He's just completely he's overlooked. Yeah, who's that? Who's that guy? <laughs> like, I mean, he he committed last spring. I think it was May May tenth or twelfth around mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, but every other year, this is a guy that he's the headliner. But Oregon is their their recruiting game has significantly gone up since their Elite Eight run, back backed up by their Final Four run, back to back conference championships, a number one seed. Having three guys get drafted in the NBA, having a fourth guy get an NBA contract, literally seconds after the draft concluded, um, all of that is is starting to factor in now into Oregon's recruiting, and their level of of players going up. And yeah, and I think you just looking ahead at 2019, I think you, you, you I think the expectation is that it will continue to be that way. So certainly, recruiting has has turned in the right direction, and. Uh, I think, I that's, think that's it. I think that's going to wrap it up. Yeah, uh, we've gone a little bit longer than we were we were hoping to, but um, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. We'll talk a little bit more basketball as the season gets closer. Eric will be at the exhibition game against Idaho. Don't be shocked if the Ducks lose that one. I don't think they will. I'm not I'm not picking them to lose, but I wouldn't be shocked if they lose. Idaho brings back five starters. They're going to be that sleeper team in the NCAA right. tournament. Um, Eric will have full recap of that and post his thoughts from. Uh, what we saw in that game, the only only way to go and, and see it is if you're there in person. So if yeah, you're not going to be televised, it's not televised, it's not streamed, it's not on the radio. Um, and then we've got 
football coverage as well tonight or this weekend for Oregon at Utah, Oregon against Utah at home. So you can find us on iTunes by searching for uh, the Duck Territory podcast, and you also can find us on facebook.com slash Oregon247, like our Facebook page there. Uh, and until we talk to you, probably following the NCU game, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll, we'll do some kind of a breakdown of what we've learned the first two games mm-hmm. of Oregon's exhibition season. Uh, we'll see you then. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys.